I've thrown thrown some things out and, and I really hope that, that something stuck. Um, a couple things that I question and ask you to question and, and the reason is is because I realize uh, my own need to, to question and search. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? You know, the, the, what, what does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? And these are foundational things that we that we say are tenets of the Christian faith. You know, these are these are things that we stand by, you know. And, and if somebody asked you about what it means to be a Christian, we would say, you know, how do you walk? We walk by faith and not by sight, you know. By how, what is it? What does it mean to be a Christian? We believe in Jesus. Um, and unfortunately, just like in Jesus' day, uh, the we very much have, have redefined and ill-defined those truths. So it's very that we come to understand because how we believe those will shape us whether we have a wrong definition or right definition. And, and just because we have an intellectual correctness or a doctrinal soundness even in our intellect, it doesn't mean because it will, it will, we will act on how we really believe those things are. We talked about faith and, and because Paul in Galatians uses the word faith a lot. And that our, we walk by, our walk is by faith. It's not by works. And again, we say these things and we somehow, pardon me, dangerously, foolishly believe that if, if I say the right things and if I have the right answers, somehow that makes me right with God. And that's a that's a terrible danger because we there's another there's another set of words which are very important that Paul hits um, on hard in four and five and and I believe that it's really under, important for us to understand and I would have to say that that as I was looking at it over the last couple of weeks. My own definition is 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 tainted, and I would say even has been wrong growing up. And that's it. Do we walk by the flesh, or do we walk by the spirit? And that's a really difficult one. Growing up in the church, the minute you say the flesh, we immediately go, yeah, all that bad stuff, you know, the, the flesh. Immediately we have these pictures of, of flesh and, and not being a pretty thing. Um, but, but there's one word for flesh. Uh, the word is, is in the uh, New American Standard, at least, is the word is sarx, and, and it's the only word used, only Greek word that there is, and uh, and it's used like 130 times. us to understand, we, we really need to have a grasp of what it means because if it says we're not to be in the flesh, we're to be in the spirit. We're not to be led by the flesh, we're to be led by the spirit. If we don't understand, have an understanding of that, how do we know what that means or what that looks like? Because it, it's, 
let us just say that the Bible is very, very clear that we need to be led by the Spirit and not led by the flesh. You read Romans, it seems like they go read other stuff other than Galatians, but Galatians really leads, is a reiteration of so many things. We, we went through Romans. Romans, Romans 7 and 8 are very, very, very important, fundamental, um, theological, doctrinal statements. And Paul purposely wrote it that way. He wrote to the Mormon church to make sure that the doctrine was clarified um, so that when he went to Rome that they were on the same page. That they weren't going, well, you believe this and you think this is what it meant. He didn't want to be in Iraq. I think he'd been in plenty of Iraq. Really was looking forward to going to the church in Rome and visiting them and didn't want to wreck. And Romans was written not to reprove or to correct anything. All, all it was, Paul had just heard good things about the church in Rome. Had nothing to do with the church in Rome. How it got started, where it came from, who knows. It's not real clear. Um, there's some speculation. But, but there was a supposed thriving church in Rome. Christian church. People who believed in Jesus. And as Paul had seen throughout his ministry, even though he was directly revealed, it was directly revealed to him by Jesus himself. Okay? The, the truth that he spoke and that he taught and the foundation he laid, even though Paul was, he was very clear in his understanding of Judaism and the law and his understanding of uh, Phariseeism and, and, he was, and the distinction with Christianity, even though that he had founded many churches in the Galatian region, uh, region of Corinth, even though he had founded these churches, he realized how quickly they went astray and how quickly they, they, they went away from the, the sound teaching that he was very clear. He personally had laid out, so understood that it had been taught right, but they had easily been led astray. So when he wrote Romans, he was writing to make sure that here's this church that who knows who taught them, who knows what their foundation are, who knows what they really believe. I'm going to write this, this letter to them that basically lays it out. This is where, this is, this is the gospel. This is the truth about God's intervention into this world and how we can have a relationship with it. So Romans is a very good book to go back to um, for sound doctrine and theology. And 7 and 8, just like I would say um, Satan is, I would say chapter 7 of Romans is, pro- is, is one, one of the great tools of the enemy for deception um, in our whole Christian walk these days. And that it, Paul... There's a misunderstanding. I'm confident in what is said. There is, there has to be a misunderstanding in what is said because Paul is very clear in six and seven, beginning part of seven and in eight, to clarify what he's saying. And he goes on a on a bit of a rant in in fourteen through twenty five of seven in Romans. All the the passage that we've all heard. Um, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Okay? Um, for the good that I wish to do, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I no longer am the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Okay? And we all go, oh yeah, I can relate to that. And growing up every Christian boy goes, yeah, that's just the way it is. See, Paul calls himself a sinner. In fact, he starts that little section 
for we know that the law is spiritual. But I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. Well, and we all go, well, I guess that's the way it is. That's the way we all are. We need to be very, very clear about something. That absolutely contradicts everything else Paul writes. So if we want to stand on that, we're in grave trouble because we have to reject what else he wrote. He starts off seven. He says, Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. Okay? Paul is, is digressing, and I am confident, and I'm not alone in this. I wouldn't say that it's widespread, but, but it's still... Um, this isn't just David running off on it, although I... You know, the, the best commentary and the best translator of truth in the Word of God is this. The, the same God wrote it. The same God inspired it. The same God inspired all the people that wrote it to write. So the best commentary, the best translation, the best understanding that we'll gain about something that's difficult to understand is this. Okay? And, and it's, in a sense, it's, it's easy to understand because there is a common practice um, in the Greek language. We don't do it in English, but there's a common practice to use the present tense in order to accentuate something. Okay? And, and that is what they did in the Greek. They, they will speak as in present tense in order to make a stronger statement about something that happened or something that was. So when he's talked about present tense, Paul's saying that we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. We need to be very careful to read. Paul goes in 5 and 6 and six and beginning of 7 and in 8 to be very clear that he is no longer, he's been set free from bondage of sin. Okay? So what Paul is talking about is under the law, it is impossible to please God. That in the flesh, under the law. You need, the, the, word, the word flesh, we need to be a little careful of because Jesus okay? Jesus said and the word became flesh and dwelt among us same word okay? so wait a minute Jesus became flesh so did Jesus sin was Jesus dirty was Jesus bad was this a, this a bad thing a wrong thing no no Jesus Jesus never sinned Jesus never did anything he had completely the body of flesh. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay? And the word flesh in and of itself is not a bad word. Okay? The word flesh speaks of our everything that makes yeah, a human being. Okay? An, a, a man. A, a man. Okay? Everything that makes me a man. Not just a man or a woman. But everything that makes us a human distinct from other creatures, okay? Um, he says there's, the, there's different flesh. There's flesh of the birds, there's flesh of the animals, there's flesh of men, okay? And, and we are distinct with the flesh of men. Okay? That's not just, sometimes it refers to, and, and oftentimes the translators try to specify. They'll use the word body. Um, Paul speaks of it in, in Galatians when he says, I came to you and you know, I was basically a mess. Um, where is it? 
excuse me, he says that, you know, I, I was blind, um, you know, I, I couldn't see my bodily illness. He says in, in verse 12 of verse 4, he says, I beg you, brethren, because as I am, for I have also become, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. Okay? That word is sarx. That word is the same word as flesh. The translator chose to, to interpret it bodily because it seemed to represent what he was talking about. I wish they kind of wouldn't have done that. It's the same word. The word is sarx. The word is flesh. Okay? Um, and, and it was talking about his in his in his human in his physical human state. That's why they refer to it as body. Now, God created what what we need to understand is that Jesus became flesh, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. That God created what Adam and Eve is flesh, okay? And the two it says became one flesh. Okay? This is this is in and of itself not a bad thing. Alright? There is a problem with the flesh. Okay? The, the, the flesh has embodies fallen man. And every man is born with a sin nature um, that is in the condition that we live in. We're born in that so that our flesh is against God. Okay? Now, some of the things our flesh does, you know, I mean, it doesn't stick its hand in the fire or it eats food because it needs to sustain itself. I mean, there, there's, there's acts of the flesh that are not bad. The thing that we, that God says that is very true and where we need to understand is that if we are, if we walk by the flesh, if, if I live my life by how I feel, okay, what seems right to me, by this makes me happy. I am motivated by this is what seems good to me. If I am motivated by pleasing my flesh, if that's what determines what I do and how I act, um, I cannot please God. Okay? So then what do we do? So in the flesh, do we try to get the rule book out and go, okay, these are the things that please God and I'm going to keep these things. Does that please God? No. Why was, why was, wait a minute, we're supposed to be obedient. We're supposed to be submissive. What, what does that look and, and I challenge you guys to try to think with me here and, and, and follow because it's very important because we have this, this, all these fragments that are sometimes seemingly irreconcilable. Wait, I'm in my flesh. I'm in my body. I live here in this body. These are my urges. These are my pushes. These are my doing. We walk by the Spirit. Okay, great. I'm going to say something pious and holy. I walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? You walk by the Spirit. Okay? What does that mean? Because it's very, very important. Okay? Um, Let me just read Romans because it emphasizes how important this is. Um, Romans 8. So Paul just gets done with this rhetoric in, in seven, talking about how in in keep the law, 
we are unable, we are powerless to please God. And in ourself, I want to do the right thing, I realize this is the right thing, I'm told this is the right thing, but I have the struggle within me where I have this, this, all these desires. And, and, and yes, they do take a, a perverse, they, they, they do move to the fruit of the flesh as immorality, and impur, impurity, and sensuality, and lust, and greed. And, and lust not just meaning sexual lust, but I long for more things, and covetousness, that I want more things, and all the things that I think would make me happy, whether it's a latte, or whether it's a, a boat, or whether it's a toy, or whether it's a new gun, or whether, whatever it is, all those things that in myself think this would make me happy, that cause us to pursue life, that, cause, that motivate us and direct us in our pursuit of life as fleshly people. Those, those, and you know, the, the, the latte or the boat aren't necessarily wrong things. And, but, but what am I driven and what am I motivated by? And in, lusting is an unnatural desire for something. Okay. And and when it pertains to sex, what we don't understand is that anything outside in our culture, even in our Christian culture, is that anything outside the context of, of God's view of sex, biblical sex, and that doesn't mean, you know, well, adultery, that doesn't mean, you know, missionary position, don't talk about it for procreation, you know, hidden somewhere in a room. This is not what, what God was saying, that, that anything desiring sexuality after that. Between a man and a wife, God gave tremendous, tremendous freedom, and He gave this, you know, my wife and I often talk about it, you know. I mean, it doesn't matter how poor or how ugly things may seem or how bad circumstances God gave us the greatest gift. I mean, we, we, we can know the, the finest, you know, high rush in, in, in nature with no money, with no, no nothing, you know, basically. And God intended it that way because He's a wonderful God. I mean, He's a... He's a He's a good, loving father. And, and the desire for that, and the desire for that intimacy, and the, you know, it's, it's a sweet, sweet thing. Lust has to do, though, with any un, un, unnatural or out-of-control desire for it. You know, I can lust after the, the, the boat, you know, and, think, and, and I understand this to some degree. You know, because I would say that I sometimes struggle with lust. It's not sexual lust. Um, you know, I, I thank God that I've come to, an, to a, a fairly pure understanding of sexuality and I am, I am satisfied. And I have no desire to have, um, to think outside of, in spite of what the world or the devil or whatever might. I have no desire to think outside the context of sexual purity. Um, and I, and I think, I'm thankful for that freedom. And I would say that's a, you know, I, I, no, that, I, that is a supernatural act of God in renewing my mind, in renewing my heart. Um, I did have no desire to think of sexuality outside the context of my life. And you know, I'll leave it at that. that. So, but sometimes I, you know, lust. What do I think? I, I think about a new gun, you know, or a new, even a new load for a gun, or a. Um, and, and sometimes that can be consumptive because when it's said and done, you go, well, what difference does it make? You, 
you know. I have a, a you know a, a couple of guns that if I didn't have them, I could easily lust for them, thinking this would make me happy. I have them; they don't make me any happier. That's the nature of lust. It does not satisfy. It's insatiable. I'm doing it. But there's a, just the same thing with sexuality, whatever, whatever thing it might be. We think something will make us happy, and, and if we're pursuing things, material things, outside of a relationship with God for the purpose of happiness, um, we're wrong. We're acting in the flesh and being motivated and moved by the flesh. There, there is. Let me read it. There is no condemnation now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and that's the key. The, the law condemns. The law was given to to not only control the people but condemn. You know, God made the the it was a, through a promise that people had a right relationship with him. It was a promise to Abraham. Okay? The promise of the Messiah. The problem that through his seed, Jesus, the world would be redeemed to him. Okay? That was a promise. That wasn't through works. That wasn't through law. It wasn't by following certain procedures. That was a promise that God gave that through his seed, the world will be redeemed to him. Okay? And why was the law then given 400 and some years later? You know, was the law given so that people could now be redeemed to God through obeying the law? Well, that's what people begin to act. And in Jesus' day, they felt very much that way. And we continue to act that way and think that way. Okay? But that is not the case. Through the law, no man can be made righteous to God, then and now. Okay? And that's the essential for us to get ourselves wrapped around because we're very arrogant in saying we're not under the law, we don't have laws. I mean, look at us. None of us have ties on today. And, you know, we're sitting in a circle and you know, we play the guitar for music, not in Oregon. And, you know, we had all kinds of... We're not under the law. You know, we're... You know, we're... we're, we're you know, we're free from the law. Let, let us be very, very clear that given to ourselves... We will all, excuse me, we will always have the propensity to gain our righteousness before God based on what we do or what we don't do. Based on our own law. Based, you know, based on our own, whether unwritten, but still absolute. This is what a Christian is. This is what pleases God. This is what I'm going to do. This will make right before God. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Wait a minute. So that doesn't go along too well with for you know the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. Really? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Okay? There's, there's these words again. The spiritual, the flesh. In order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. Take that very, very seriously. For the mind 
set on the flesh is death. Death is a very important word here. We're not talking about the body dying, but the spirit being alive and living immortally with God forever. We're talking about the mind set on the flesh will, will remain in a spiritually dead state with eternal separation from God. So the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, nor is it even able to do so. Well, wait a minute. Jesus was of the flesh. Was God? He lived fully in the flesh. He, he, was, he, he became flesh and lived... Um, Jesus was not. No. That's Romans 8. So. so. Sorry. So. But the, the, the mindset on the flesh. What, what was the difference? Jesus had the completeness of being created in the flesh. Okay? Jesus was in the flesh. It says he was tempted in every way as we are. He had the propensity to act out and live out in the fallen flesh. He had the ability, it didn't say propensity, but it said he had the ability to live that way, to live his life out there. Give me cycling. Good to see you. But he did not. So how did he not? How did he not sin? How did he remained never hostile towards God his whole life. Because he walked by the Spirit. So, just as we are too. Okay? No different. Okay? Just as we are too. To be walked by the Spirit. To set our minds on the Spirit, not on the things that... What, but what does that mean? That, that sounds... What is everything we think we want? What is everything we long for? What is what is our pursuit and our desires? What are they about? Life and peace. I mean, we need we need to. In Galatians five, um, I mean, you don't need to go there right now. But Galatians five, there's one of the most famous chapters, the fruit of the spirit, or passages, I would say. Okay, and we tend to think of the fruit of the spirit as Okay, look at this. This is the way peace. This is the way Christians are supposed to act. Okay, so this is how I'm going to act. That's not what it says. It says this is the fruit of the spirit. Okay. So the the is fruit something that that has a brain and tries to grow, or or, or forces itself to act, or is fruit the product of the tree? Fruit is the product of the tree, and the same thing that fruit is the product of the spirit. Okay. It will be what it is. We will produce fruit with our lives. Okay? And the fr- when we are led by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the things that naturally come out, okay? the things that we- not naturally but supernaturally will come out because we are led by the Spirit. What are those things? You know, love. And, and again, that's agape love. That's not worldly love. That is caring about others more than ourselves. Joy. What do we want in life? What is, if we could stack it all up and cash it all in for what? 
what would, what would the thing that we're truly looking for? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against those things, there is no law. Okay? What do we really want with our life? You know? We, 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 the aspect is very, very true. For us to... We have to... By the flesh. What does that mean? Okay? Because this... And again, this is very, very important. Is that, is that uh, you know, poking holes in ourselves and, um, you know, trying to choke ourselves or not eat or, or, you know, run marathons or some other form of torture that you know, we think will bring us joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and goodness, self-control. Um, we, death is the death that we have to do to our flesh, the death that Jesus lived out. Okay? Jesus was not led by his, by what his body told him, by what his mind told him. Jesus did have, I would say in a sense, although he was tempted in every way as we are, but where I see a difference, Jesus, Jesus did not have a corrupt flesh. Okay? Most of our problems come from the fact that we've lived most of our lives in rebellion to God. Okay? The longer you live in rebellion to God, the worse you get. No different than any... The longer you overeat, the worse you're going to get. The long, longer you remain in sexual perversion, the worse you're going to get. You know, they're insatiable things that have a cumulative effect that, that lead to degeneracy. Okay? Jesus... vividly thinking I and that's how God made me I'm a, I am a passionate person and God made me a passionate how I want to make myself feel, how I want to make myself feel better, um, led to my destruction. And I, you know, in our culture and in our society, if we do not actively combat the perpetual bombardment of lies about, let's just take sexuality in that point, we will be perverse in our understanding of the things of God. Okay? We will be perverse because there is a consistent, continual bombardment in our culture and our society has been since the time we were little kids. A, a, a complete diversion or a complete moving away from the things of God. And Satan's very good about that because he knows it's a great way to trap. I didn't think I should, could ever be free and ever know joy. I mean, Gene and I have been hanging out for 38 years, something like that. And we were like 15 and 16 when we started hanging out. Doing it. And... and She's, she, I don't care what you guys think. She is old. You know, I'm getting old. So, she, she, 
oh my, you know. But I honestly know that to be true. That she is sexually prettier than she's ever been. Okay? And, 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 and I, I say that because I, to me that speaks so strongly to redemption. Okay? God has redeemed my heart. My view of sexuality and eroticism and romance is my wife. And I didn't think that could ever be. I didn't think that could ever be the truth in the case. Okay? Um, I mean, at 15 or 16, I did. You know? I lost that hope and that dream to some degree. And my rebellion and anger towards God that to pound the heck out of me for years. Cumulative effect of my of a lifetime of a lifetime of um, you know early early age dating. I mean, my whole life, I, you know, since I was five years old, all I wanted to do is get married and, and have kids and go live in the Yukon and you know just be madly in love with my wife and raise my kids and yeehaw, fight grizzly bears and have live life. You know, that was always my dream, my suffering, and but my view of what it took to get there and all the perversion that happened. You know, I didn't understand self-control. I didn't understand purity. I didn't understand God's view. Um, and those things just led to ha- having a devastating effect of, on my life. Accumulated devastating effect. That God, and, and the reason I speak about my, my feelings towards my wife is because it's such a, an absolute testimony to God's redemption that I know it's true. That I know that God can change and redeem and renew our minds. Like he, like he says, I know that we can, this body of flesh which gets corrupted and has been corrupted. Jesus' flesh never got corrupted. Okay? He was, his flesh was always submissive to his father, to his master. Okay? He wasn't driven and led and, and controlled by his flesh. Apparently, Ever. He was always obedient to his father. That is where, in in, in our state, that's what it means to walk by the Spirit. And and let me just say, this is not some vague, I mean, I don't know how often I've heard, well, God doesn't speak to you, so you just need to know what the good Christian things are to do and just follow that rule book. Really? That's a tragic, deceptive, pardon me, demonic of what it means to be a Christian. He, he says that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, will come and live in us. That is one of the evidences of being born again. If that isn't true in your life, we need to talk. Because that's a possibility. That's a, that's a free gift from God that we can truly be led by the Spirit. Well, you, you hear from God? Yes. Does the Spirit of God speak to me? Yes. Well, is it in a fleshly, audible voice? No. Does He speak to me? Absolutely. Okay? Absolutely. What, how, how has that happened? He speaks to me. And, and, and that's His desire. How are we led then? What are we obedient to? Spirit of God. 
or, or, am I, or am I beating you too much? Does your body speak to you and tell you you want to eat another cookie? Or tell you you want to have this boat? Or tell you you want to think about these thoughts? Or tell you you want to do... The body speaks to you. Screams. Cries out. Okay? You choose to listen to it or don't you choose to listen? In fact, you're, you're by the flesh... What's wild is your flesh has absolutely become um, a megaphone is given to your flesh oftentimes even by, by Satan. Who's in control of this world? We are either under the control and dominion. It isn't just our body and we're, we're living in our body and our flesh and then we're alive to the Spirit. If we are living in our body and controlled by our body and what we want to do and what I want to do, it's about me. It's about survival. It's about self-fulfillment, it's about self-indulgence, it's about whatever it might be. And it, and it doesn't matter how it looks. We, ch- we come up with some really good religious ways to, to fulfill ourselves and indulge ourselves and still fulfill us, be selfish, but still look pious and religious, you know, like the others. Or, or, you know, we get together and have a, have a, you know, a Christian dinner communion, potluck, and, and I think eating together is a wondrous, very important thing to do, okay? It is maybe one of the greatest sin pots in the Christian church. I mean, it's a, it's a sick thing to lust and covet and, and food. Call it, a, call it a Christian potluck and aren't we having fellowship? And, and and it, 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 if you could take the most of the world and stand them outside and look at it, and, and look at the, the the lusting after food and the, the you know I can't wait to have dessert and you know just the whole cravings that we allow our bodies to go nuts on, um, the rest of the world would go you guys, are sick. you get sick you know, doing it. and and we don't see it because it's so much a part of our culture we have instant gratification in food wherever we go, you know. You know, you go to Twin and, man, I can, I, I've got my choice of 47 fast foods, something that might, or, or, or health, or, stand back and think about it. And, and, and unfortunately, it's all under the guise of fellowship and all under the guise of Christian potlucks doing. Um, there's nothing wrong with potlucks. There's nothing wrong with eating together. In fact, we are called to do that. We're called to share our life together. We're called to share meals together. Because that's a very important thing. That's a very important point of intimacy. Um, but the, the centroid of it is not to be the food. The centroid of it is to be the celebration of our relationship, even if it's a feast. It's a celebration of God's goodness celebration of God's provision, celebration of God taking care of us, of God's bountiful blessing, whatever it might be. Enjoy food? Is that all right? Well, God wouldn't make things, given us taste buds to taste things, if it did, and given us this, this, this mental, I mean, it's amazing, because some people think some really weird things taste good in this world, because they mentally believe they taste good, you know, and their brain conditions them to believe, if I eat this, and if we eat
life on beans and rice? What is it? You think we're very... What? forests and trees where the bats will tend to swoop and when the bats fly catch these bats they'll go weeks trying to catch bats and it's like this feast this delicacy bats and they'll make like, like chicken yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they fry the that's what one knows too so I mean it, it's thank God that he gives us gives us place you know there's, there's a verse in the Bible that says and it's a quote from the Old Testament and from First Peter says all flesh is like grass okay? and all its glory like the flower of grass now wait a minute let, let, let's equate that with our view of flesh okay if you go out to a whole lot of like East Fork right now and, and start looking around and you say that's not grass well yeah aspens are giant weeds or cottonwoods but you know, you look at the glory that God put in those leaves. You know, and and or, or look at wildflowers. I mean, I remember one of the greatest. I had, had a plant taxonomy class in college, and um, one semester was subtitled "Identification of Spring Wildflowers." Something, and I had to go out and look at wildflowers. You know, and it, it was a that was one of the greatest revelations of God's glory of any college class I took history, philosophy, whatever it might be because the, the level of intricacy and beauty the extraordinary beauty because the closer you look at a flower the more amazing it becomes on wildfire and, and, and that was one of the most amazing demonstrations because God uses that he says you know, he goes, don't worry about what you wear. Don't worry about what... He goes, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the wildflowers. He goes, I clothe them. And today they're here in all their glory and tomorrow they're burned up and gone. Just gone. You know, without any purpose. They're just gone. He goes, if I cared much about those things which today are here and tomorrow are burned up and gone, how much more do I care about you that are eternal? They're my children. So, why worrying. You think you can clothe yourself better than one of these? And same thing with the first. All flesh, the flesh, okay, is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, okay? Well, that's not a bad thing. Okay? That's a beautiful thing. And there's sides there's size of that which, you know, I mean, my wife's a beautiful flower. But they, 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 there's make the flesh beautiful and God does make beauty in the flesh okay but the, the issue is he says but the grass withers and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord abides forever the bottom line is that, that the flesh is this temporal thing is this short thing is that what drives us is that what we live by or do we live eternally by the spirit of God by being led and directed by the Spirit of God. Believing in Jesus is believing in the absolute Lordship of Jesus. 
Believing in Jesus is believing that He's the Son of God. If you believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you're saved. Okay? What does believing Jesus is the Son of God? That means that He is due all of my life. He is, he is worthy of my absolute, complete certainty. He is, if, if, we, if I really believe He is who He claimed to be, who the Bible says He is, who He is, if I really believe that, I cannot go, well, you're not worthy to be served at the moment. But I will get to you later. Okay. Right now, I am the one. That's not believing Jesus. That's not believing in who Jesus Christ is. That is not believing that he's the Son of God. Okay? You, you, you can say that with your mouth, but it's not believing that. To believe in that means to be subjected to, to who he is. Okay? So if subjecting myself to who he is means that Sometimes he's worthy to be saved, and sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's worthy to be served, sometimes he's not. I can choose. We don't really believe that he's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We don't believe that he's God made flesh. Okay? We don't believe that's who Jesus was. That's who believing Jesus was, that it was God made flesh. So, what do we... What drives us? What moves us? Who are we obedient to? What do we serve? Let me let me let me finish Romans eight since we did it. I hope that you guys will will read Galatians because what I'm talking about the last couple of weeks, in spite of not reading Galatians, is Galatians. Okay. You know? So so. I hope you are reading Galatians because and, and I because it's critical that we come to an understanding of the truth, okay? So because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Jesus was in the flesh, but he can't please God. So what does it mean? What's he saying? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I mean as long as I'm in this body, I cannot please God? That's not what he's saying. However, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, if the Spirit, if Christ is in you, Though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Okay, well, there it is. See, I can have Christ in me, and my body can be dead in bondage to sin, and I can just go on sinning. But God has forgiven me. Is that what he's saying? No. It's not what he's saying. He says, but if the spirit of him the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Okay? Now remember, this is the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus in His bodily flesh form, raised Him from the dead. And supernaturally empowered Him, transformed Him into a new body. Okay? Remember? Walked through walls, sat down and ate fish. 
thought he was a ghost, touched the holes in my hand. This is a radical thing where we are so in the confines of the human flesh. This is a new body. This is, this is a, a new body in a redeemed state. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. The body, in and of itself, is rebellious to God. In and of itself is, is dominant and controlling of ourselves, of our emotions, of our will, of our desires. Okay? And they are not of God. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who indwells you. Okay? Supernatural? Yes. Yes. Is this just a logical deal where we change the way we think? No. This is a supernatural act of God empowered by the living Spirit of God to bring life to our mortal body. The flesh was. It wasn't degenerate. Okay? Jesus didn't need to regenerate even. It was, it was a body of flesh that never sinned. It went to its self-desires. It never went to selfishness. It never went to self-pleasing. It never went to self-gratification. Because again, that rebellion towards God because that's what it is. Living in, that's how we are born, in rebellion to God. And, and to, to live by that standard, to live by those drives and those desires, no matter how it may look on the outside, will lead to degeneracy. In Galatians 5, in Dorit, as it says, the, the, the fruit of living by the flesh is immorality, is impurity, is sensuality, is greed, is dissension, is strife, is envy, is anger, okay? outbursts of anger. I mean, these are these are the natural result of trying to live out your desires and what you want and be self-fulfilled. We we tend in in our Christian culture we say you can be self-fulfilled. You're given the freedom, you're given the power to fulfill your dreams, to do what you want to do. Well, God does say that, that if, we, if, we, if we completely and totally submit to Him, He will give us the desires of our heart. Okay. Is that self-fulfilling? No. The, the result is, what, no, having the desires of our heart, you know what that really means? He will change the desires of our heart. We will be transformed. Any less fulfilling? No. We think, well, this is what, this is what will make me happy. What will make me happy passionately and romantically? Well, we can come up with concocted things that we think would do that. Okay? Will it ever? Absolutely not. When will we be? When God renews my heart. Does He give me the desire of my heart now, passionately and romantically? Yes. But I am confident in this, that we will continue to grow in that. That we will continue to grow in that passion and romance. 
because we, that is God's fulfillment. God never intended that to wane. Okay? It wanes because of guilt and shame, all the encumbrances that go around it. Okay. I'll finish. Let, let me finish by reading this. Okay? Hey, Edgar. So then, brethren. So then, brethren, we are under obligation. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Okay? We are under obligation to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, the, but if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. That includes daughters of God. Would you, I challenge you. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Because it says if we are not led by the Spirit of God, we are not children of God and we cannot please God. If we are led by what we think is right, what seems good to us, what seems... In, in the church in Galatia, they went right back to rather than being led by the Spirit of God, I want to put all these markers up here because it's, it's I want to please God and I, I want my relationship to be right with God. So in order for that to happen, I need to please Him and I need to do this and I need to do that. The propensity of man. I can earn my right in God. The obligation that we have is death to self and to be led by the Spirit of God. I no longer have the right to be led by me. I have the obligation to be led by the Spirit of God. How do we learn to hear the Spirit of God? That, that's, that's why we're here. That's why we hang out with each other. That's why we are led by the Spirit of God through the, through the gifts of the Spirit that we give all those who have the Spirit. The gifts are given for the edification and building up of the body so people learn the voice of God. God will never speak contrary to this. Is this a very good marker, an essential foundation for us? Absolutely. God will not go contrary. Beyond? Absolutely. Contrary? Never. That's why it's essential that we know what the, the, the foundation of what God has given us so that we can discern what is truth, what is not. Okay? How did Jesus discern what Satan said to him that seemed so right? by this, by the written word. Satan even quoted the written word. How do you know it was wrong? By more of the written word. He knew more than... He, he, he pulled, Satan pulled it out of context. Said, this, is what, this is what God says. Jesus said, no. Because I, I take it as a whole. This is what God says. Jesus himself, led by the Spirit. 
we led by the Spirit or we led by the flesh? What's the difference? And, and that, that's very important. For me, the reorientation is very important to see because we immediately go, we're led by the flesh. And it doesn't matter. Our, our human nature is such that when we say, no, and flesh, well, that's flesh. That's degenerate. That's sick. That's wrong. That's perverse. That's this. And so I immediately disassociate myself, even if I am all these things. This, it's a deal we have. Instead, we need to see our body of flesh is how we were created. Now, what controls us and what moves us? What are we driven by? What are we obligated to? What are we submissive to? Are we submissive to our flesh? Are we submissive to the Spirit of God? Do our desires, our wants, our minds, our bodies, our hormones control us? Or does obedience to the Spirit of God control us? say, well, that seems kind of vague when you follow the Spirit of God. No, that's, that's an absolute reality. And if it isn't, then we're, we need to become way more religious. But it is true. Let's pray. God, I think this is a challenge you gave to me as a loving father about my perspective on what the flesh is. Again, Jesus. Jesus was made flesh, flesh, and and lived among us. He gave up his perfected spiritual state and took on a body of flesh. I'm sure he stubbed his toe. I'm sure he was hungry. He says he was hungry. Shoot, after 40 days living out there, he was ready to die. He was a body of flesh. Because he was sad. Because he wept. Because he mourned. God, please help us understand what it means to acknowledge this body of flesh, but to acknowledge that we don't have to be led and driven by that. We can die. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. That's a flesh. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In this body, this life I live, in this body of flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up to me. And God, I, I want to live that way all the time us to understand that when we're rebellious in sin, that shuts down our sensitivity to hearing the voice. We do not spit in your face. I believe it's compassion and grace and mercy that causes, causes you to not respond to our arrogance and sinfulness as long as you would respect that. Cause us to understand that when we don't live in complete and total submission to you, we desensitize ourselves to hearing your voice. And we hypersensitize ourselves to listening to our flesh. We need help in that too. Because we're born in submission to the ruler of this world. It causes us to see, God, that we 
truly can be led by your spirit. That's a phenomenal gift. It's an amazing thing. And we are not the law for righteousness to stand right by the view. But Jesus said that he can fulfill the law. And we can fulfill the totality of the law by fulfillment, by, by submission to you, and being led by the Spirit, by love all our soul, all our mind and strength, and loving our neighbors ourselves, loving our brothers and sisters and yourself. That fulfills the law. The law was given because people were unable in themselves to do that. So the laws were given in order to keep social order. It was a major part of them to reveal, reveal to them that they needed an asylum state. God, I thank you that we can be sons and daughters of you. That even in and of itself has a context of wrong thinking. Sons and daughters can, can disobey. Sons and daughters can be rebellious. Sons and daughters can be disrespectful. Sons and daughters can be sneaky and do what they want to do. That is not at all what you're saying. You said those things are worthy of if you're rebellious to your father to be stoned talking about we can be submissive absolutely to our Father as sons and daughters but we see the blessings of intimate relationship with God with Jesus. It's an amazing thing in this universe that I can call you Dad that I can be your son and I thank you for that. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that willing to live in my fleshly heart, my fleshly mind, and my fleshly body, and lead and guide, direct, show me how to put to death this flesh and be obedient to you. Thank you, Jesus, for making that possible. We would not be justified. We would not be righteous. We would not be able you not be quick if it wasn't for you. You would still be under the law and have to fight the throats of the hand. Thank you. I ask you to challenge our hearts. I need Jesus, I ask you to lay on the hearts of my brothers and sisters here that they would question this week. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the flesh? What does it mean to be controlled and determined and led by the Spirit and the flesh? How is this all the question and have your perspective? Amen.